Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. You're listening to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. With us today is business maverick journalist Ray Matlaka. Here's what we're chatting about today. We've seen the devastation of the Israel-Hamas war and South Africa won't be left unscathed. Is Pravin the problem? Why our SOEs just can't seem to get it right? A lot of people say that he's not the right fit for overseeing the DPE department and by extension overseeing SOEs. Then South Africa closes the books on Steinoff and grains of hope in the latest census report. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the show, Ray. It's been a long time. So how have you been? I'm good, exhausted. I think end of year fatigue, that feeling is setting mm. in. I mean, there's like less than 80 days left before before the year ends. So I'm hanging in uh, there. I, I did not want to hear that. That just makes the end of the year real. We have quite a lot to get through today. And the first one is the big story, I think, that's on everyone's radar. And it's the horrific Israel-Hamas war, which erupted so very suddenly on the 7th of October. It honestly caught everyone by surprise, I think. And in the past week, the true devastation of this worsening conflict has become very clear with casualties in the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people displaced on both sides. Most people focus on the Israel versus Palestine debate. I want us to talk about how this conflict could potentially impact Africa and South Africa. Firstly, there's the big discussion around oil and gas that I've seen. I think I read somewhere that the price of a barrel of oil increased by almost 5% in the first 48 hours since the war broke out. And the same for gas with a 12% increase. There's quite a sad matter and conflict. It's rooted in history, politics and geography as well. But I, I think the true cost here is the, the human cost mm. and disruptions to lives. And what happens with wars is that it, it does impact many nations. So Africa's economy is also impacted. You cited a rise in the international oil price. And that on its own will impact South Africa because South Africa relies on oil imports. Wars naturally do have an economic impact, especially for South Africa. We saw when the Ukraine war and Russia war broke out. Last year, international oil prices jumped. And the same has happened here with the Israel-Hamas war. The international oil price increased beyond 90 US dollars per barrel. And South Africa imports oil to be able to have petrol and diesel available. That oil that is imported is refined later into petrol and diesel. And the cost of importing that oil it becomes more expensive because of the increase in international oil prices. At the end of the day, the impact to South Africans and South Africa will likely result in further petrol and diesel price increases mm-hmm. because the cost of importing that oil has increased. So we will feel the, the impact as a result. 
result of the Israel and Hamas war. And are there any other commodities that we should keep an eye on aside from gas and oil? I know there has been some talk about shipping companies that might be impacted. I read somewhere that the insurance costs for shipping companies going through the Israeli ports have already kind of spiked and that might impact shipping costs as well. Well, that's quite a big impact as well. But I can think of other commodities such as grain and wheat that we import as well through many countries that are surrounded by Israel too. So those commodities might increase the price of and that might make food much more expensive in South Africa. So we really cannot escape the effects of of this crisis. There's already talk of Iran and Lebanon also getting drawn into the conflict, which could destabilize especially the oil producing nations even more. But for now, experts are saying that global markets should be relatively okay if matters don't escalate. What have you heard from local market experts? A lot of people are taking a wait and see approach, seeing how this war will unfold and how long it will last as well. The long The longer this war goes on, the more disruptions we'll see. If this war does prolong, it will disturb financial markets. It will impact the price of oil further. And that will really make things much more expensive down the line. Another CEO bites the dust as ESCOM board chairperson Mpo Makwana resigns. Mere hours after him calling it quits, Parliament's Standing Committee on Public Accounts, or SCOPA, said this is yet another sign that all is not well at the power utility. But ESCOM isn't the only state-owned enterprise clinging on for dear life. Transnet is also in a state of chaos. So, is Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon the one to blame? So, on to local matters, and this is something that I think impacts us more directly, obviously. And it's all eyes on Pravin Gordon, and it's not in a good way, necessarily, with many South Africans and politicians asking, what has Gordon done to fix our failing SOEs? I think if you speak to most South Africans, they would probably say, well, it doesn't seem like he's done anything, really, because things just seem like they've gotten worse. I first want to look at what he has done for our state-owned enterprises. You know, to answer that question, we have to look at what role Mr. Gordon has at SOEs. As the minister, he is in charge of governance affairs of SOEs, such as Transnet and ESKIM. He is responsible for making appointments such as CEOs and individuals on the boards of SOEs. That's his role that's his mandate at SOEs. It's a very difficult question to answer because, you know, there's so much bad happening with SOEs at the moment. So a good might be that he has managed to appoint people at SOE boards, fill them up and made appointments in various CEO positions. But the counter argument is that did he actually appoint the right people, capable people when it comes to SOEs? The only good I can see here, Lazan, is that he managed to fill up the boards of SOEs, but the quality of those individuals on those boards, that's another question. The chaos isn't limited to just the SOEs themselves. If you look at the latest outcomes from the Auditor General, I mean, his own department is also in a horrible state because they just received a truly abysmal audit report from the Auditor General. I want to quickly just read a section from that report, which I think summarizes exactly the sentiment the AG had 
about the Department of Public Enterprises. And it says, overall, the audit outcomes have remained stagnant with no notable improvement in the current year. The portfolio indicates an environment that is failing to implement a robust financial management system that could produce credible financial reporting. So what happened with this darling department that everyone pinned their hopes on? Do you think it's a case of Provin just having given up? Do you think it's because the ANC is not backing him properly? Or do you think it's because corruption and under the table dealings have just gone beyond his control? Well, it's interesting. It depends on who you listen to. A lot of people blame Provin Gordon. A lot of people say that he's not the right fit for overseeing the DPE department and by extension overseeing SOEs. Gordon has been a state capture hero who has now become a thorn apparently in many SOEs. A lot of people say that there is a lot of political interference that he is responsible for at many SOEs. As the minister, he is not allowed to be involved in the day-to-day running of SOEs. His role is to oversee the governance affairs, again, of SOEs, so not being involved in the minutiae. So, so I think it's a combination of factors here. You have SOEs that are broken, that are still recovering from state capture. Many SOEs were the site of state capture. You have an economy that is so broken and weak, and you have SOEs that are facing enormous challenges that are not fit for purpose and are further dragging down the economy. And you have political leadership that is not right, that is not fit to run SOE. So it's a host of issues. I mean, what's the solution here? Because we have Transnet and ESCOM both without CEOs at this point. And we've seen some fairly high level individuals just summarily step down or announce their resignation. So what does this mean, firstly, for the stability of SA's economy, but then also in terms of what needs to happen to get our SOEs back on track? It's been years now. I feel feel a lot of South Africans want some forward movement in some way. Yeah, several solutions have been tabled. The first is appoint capable people, people who are experienced, have industry experience. So if you're going to appoint the next Transnet CEO, appoint someone who has rail logistics port experience, someone who knows how to run logistics operations, because the CEO, Portia Derby, who will leave in October, Mm. when she was appointed in 2020, a lot of people didn't see her as being fit and having the right logistics skills to run a huge entity like Transnet. The second Mm. is the government and how it views SOEs. It needs to embrace the involvement of the private sector and seeing the private sector as a partner for delivery because state-owned enterprises alone cannot fix their operations, cannot run the economy. A lot of them don't have the right skills in place and the private sector is actually offering its skills and resources to help many of the SOEs, including Transnet and ESKIM. So the solution seems simple. Absolutely. And I think that final point that you just raised about the private sector is so important. And I remember we also touched on it in my conversation with Heather Robertson a few weeks ago about the National Development Plan. And again, how the private sector is crucial in getting things to move forward. And also, I think it's quite important to add that the private sector hasn't covered itself in glory as well. Absolutely. It it also has its bad aspects too. So yes, we're seeing it as captain saviour, but it is also driven by profits as well. So it wouldn't be helping SOEs out of the goodness of its heart. Definitely. 
Another painful chapter in South Africa's history came to a close last week as Steinoff officially closed its doors. The company, once a jewel in investment circles, went up in flames practically overnight in 2017, when German prosecutors questioned the company's earnings. The share price plummeted, leaving investors, many of them pensioners, with devastating losses. But the fight for accountability continues. Speaking of dodgy private companies, let's get into Steinhoff. It's been the scandalous story of our lives for years. And this past Friday, we saw Steinhoff officially close its doors following lengthy liquidation processes. It's uh, delisted from the JSE and the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. And the company will now essentially belong to its creditors. But what does this mean for investors who lost millions in the Steinhoff implosion? Is, is this the end of the road for them? What is happening to the many South Africans who lost so much money? Yeah, I mean, a lot of investors lost a lot of money through Steinhoff, more than 200 billion rand. A lot of people with pension savings and, you know, had investments through Steinhoff or some exposure uh, to Steinhoff. There are many losers in this scenario. As an example, the shares of Steinhoff before it admitted to accounting fraud back in 2017, they were trading at about 96 rand a share. But moments later, Later, towards its delisting, the shares were trading at about two cents a share. So that demonstrates the enormous loss that a lot of people have suffered. It is the end of the road. So shareholders, unfortunately, don't have any recourse left unless they sue the the former executives of Steinhoff who oversaw this crisis. But really, there is not much that investors can do here but to really stomach those losses. Meanwhile, the battle continues in court, though, more specifically in German courts as Marcus Joester faces criminal charges there. Do you have any updates for us on that matter? The court case is still ongoing. The deliberations was that whether Mr. Marcus Joester should attend a court proceeding in person or not. I see that the court has now ruled that Mr. Marcus Joester has to be in court to face the music in person in Germany. But there is also a bit of good news as well. The JSC is now demanding that Marcus Joester pay a fine of 15 million rand for his role in the Steinhoff saga. He has also been barred from being a director of any listed company for 20 years. So it might not seem like there's much justice around, especially in South Africa, but there are tidbits of justice and nuggets of justice regarding holding Mr. Yester accountable. This has certainly opened up our eyes to the various issues within the financial sector. I want to just kind of get a sense from you following this whole Steinoff mess. Do you think the South African corporate world has taken any notes from the Steinhoff matter? Do you think we're in a better place now from a policy and regulatory standpoint? Because certainly we we don't want to see anything like this happening again. I think everybody is deeply suspicious in the financial industry. And when a company reports financial results, there's now much scrutiny looking at the numbers and verifying the numbers and checking their veracity as well. So I think a lot of people are awake to the scandals around the financial industry. Regulators, unfortunately, the regulators who are meant to protect us 
They were caught sleeping in the wake of Stahnhof's implosion, Tonga's implosion, the auditing industry as well. Lots of scandals there. Many regulators were not aware of the scandals that unfolded. But I think now there is a sense of awareness about whether companies, what they present, is it really true or not? The good news is that there is a level of awareness about the scandals that might happen in the financial industry. Between February and May 2022, Stats SA field workers across the country worked tirelessly to complete South Africa's fourth census since the advent of democracy in 1994. Since then, the country has seen state capture, a basic service infrastructure collapse and rising violence. The landscape has changed dramatically, so the importance of the latest census outcomes cannot be overstated. And while we'll be the first to admit things are not close to ideal, Ray Matlaka believes it's important for us to focus on progress, no matter how small. So, on to our final bit. You said that you're going to try and bring us some good news, and it's the 2022 census outcomes that were finally released. I mean, they were long overdue. And the figures for me personally were quite eye-opening, especially bits about women making up just over 51% of the population, the fact that education levels were slightly up, you know, in terms of attendance figures, that more South Africans had access to piped water and electricity, so what did you make of the latest report? You know, Lazan, you and I work in the media and we often criticize the government for its many, many, many shortcomings. And I think for me, the census was an opportunity to take a step back and look at South Africa's development since 1996. It would be foolhardy of me to not recognize that there has been quite good development since 1996. The number of young people between the ages of 5 and 24 who are attending educational institutions has increased since 1996. The number of households living in formal housing also increased since 1996. Mm -hmm. And the number of people, as you said, Lazan, who had access to pipe water and the number of uh, homes with electricity also increased as well. So I feel like that is a good measure of progress and development. But the government still has a lot of progress to make because having access to water and, and electricity means little if nothing comes through the pipe. If a flick of switch does not illuminate a house during load shedding or unexplained power cuts, it means nothing to have that kind of infrastructure available. But for me, the census does show that, you know, there has been pockets of development since 1996. And I want to link it back to the National Development Plan again, because I think it's so important that we remind government of their own plan. The census is a reflection of what can be done. So now they need to really build on these small growths that government uses this census report as kind of a starting point for them to now just continue building on that and hopefully build on their national development plan, which is the, the big darling of the Ramaphosa presidency. I agree wholeheartedly and, you know, and a challenge to the nation. Engage and read the census. Make your own decision about whether South Africa has developed or regressed and also use the census to inform your decision when you vote next year. Definitely. Well, Ray, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been lovely chatting to you. Always a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's a wrap. 
In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. <laughs> <laughs>